Welcome into the golf club. Great podcast you get each week on ESPN. Not each week, but as much as possible on the ESPN 1000 app. And it's my pleasure to be joined now by a great golf writer, a guy I followed for a long time when he's at ESPN. Now he's with the Action Network, Jason Sobel. Jason, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Yes, Jason, uh, and I was following you over the weekend, and you know it was uh, it turned into a big firestorm on Saturday afternoon. Uh, before we get to the Phoenix Open, I want to kind of go back and talk about what happened last week uh, at Farmers Insurance. What? Let's start with Saturday, Patrick Reed, the incident. What did you think of what happened? Uh, yeah, so there's a lot of different layers to peel back from this right now. Um, I will say that there are a lot of people on social media, and you wouldn't believe it. People on social media have very strong opinions. <laughs> I, I had no idea. Right, exactly. um, but there are a lot of people on social media who still uh, don't take it at face value that Patrick Reed didn't see his ball bounce or that he asked the, uh, the volunteer marshal whether it bounced. They said they didn't see I Look, let's at least give them a little bit benefit of the doubt. Uh, I think he at least deserves that. So I, it doesn't matter whether he saw it bounce or not. And, you know, okay, he goes in there. The two red flags for me on this situation, the first is he marked his ball, he picked it up because he thought it was embedded, and then he called the rules official. I have never, in years of covering the game, seen a player pick the ball up and then call the rules official. It's just backwards. It just doesn't happen. And so that just sort of sends out, like I said, a red flag. Uh, The bigger issue to me is that after the round was over, Patrick Reed went into the scoring area. He was shown the video, and he sees that his ball did indeed bounce, which is, hey, look, if he didn't see it live, I understand that. He was hitting out of a bunker, didn't expect it to go left. That's fine. But he sees on the video this ball bounced in the rough. Well, now he comes out, stands in front of the camera, and says, it is almost impossible for a ball that bounces in the rough to embed and yet he is still telling us that his ball was embedded thus if you put it all together Patrick Reed is telling us that the almost impossible has just happened in which his ball bounced in the rough and then embedded and so I just have a hard time getting past that the almost impossible happened before our eyes and you know the one in a million one in a thousand chance of that ball embedding in there actually did take place. So that that is my my biggest issue with the entire situation right there. All right, Jason, I got so many questions on this, but <laughs> the first one I have is um would this have would this firestorm have come up if it was another player because Rory McIlroy did the same thing on 18 on the same day when he didn't even call rules official over. He just talked to Rory Sabatini about it, marked his ball and took his club length and and played on. Um is it all because of Patrick Reed's reputation? He's been caught on camera at the Tiger World Challenge, right, or whatever it's called now. He he was caught, in, you know, trying to improve his lie in a sand trap. Is it all because of Patrick Reed's reputation? Uh, yeah, a lot of it, sure. And look, uh, should we treat every player equally? Maybe we should, but we don't. Um, you know, the analogy I've used for a few days now is if you have an all-pro left tackle who hasn't committed a holding penalty in three years, and you have a rookie right tackle who commits three holding penalties a game, which guy is the referee going to be looking at a little bit closer? He's going to be looking at the rookie because that guy is more 
prone to committing penalties. And so it's very much the same thing here. Patrick Reed has had more rules controversies, more uh, more infractions over the last five years than maybe everybody else on the PGA Tour put together. And so where there's smoke, sometimes there's fire. And so, yes, we're looking at it more. And the reason why I would say that Patrick Reed's situation and Rory McIlroy's situation are different is, first of all, as you mentioned, Rory didn't call in a rules official. I, like I said, uh, I thought it was very strange that he picked up the ball and then called an official. That's just something I've never seen before. Right. Uh, secondly, you know, and guys deal with embedded balls all the time. These are not the first two embedded balls that have ever happened on the PGA Tour. And so uh, Rory knew how to deal with the situation. The second part of it is that Rory did not gain an advantage whatsoever from where he dropped his ball. Patrick got a little bit of an advantage. True. He was able to move it into some, uh, some rough that wasn't nearly as thick and hit a shot from there, whereas Rory basically just dropped his ball and you saw it disappear back to where it started from, at the bottom of the rough. So I just don't think that the situations are completely similar. And again, the players aren't completely similar. Rory has a pristine record when it comes to playing with honesty and integrity, and Patrick Reed doesn't. And so, yes, we shine that magnifying glass on Patrick Reed a little bit more than other players. Did you feel on Saturday that CBS did a good job covering what happened? I did. I think this is in deference to how they've covered specific situations in the past that are uh, similar in a lot of ways. I think that CBS has too often protected the PGA Tour, protected the players themselves, and just glossed over these situations and swept them under the rug. What I saw from CBS on Saturday was, I think, uh, basically in concert with what everybody was talking about on social media. And they, uh, they understand, like, hey, here's where the conversation is going in the golf world. Everybody is talking about this. We have to address it. We have to keep coming back to it. And then Sunday, it might have been a little bit piling on, but they started out the broadcast with 10 to 15 minutes uh, sort of a roundtable discussion with a rules official, with their analysts, talking more about this situation 24 hours after the fact. Was it overkill at that point? Maybe a little bit, but I think this was CBS with a new producer at the helm starting to show us that they've got more journalistic integrity than maybe they've had in the past, and they want to show that, hey, we are covering this from a, from a journalistic standpoint as opposed to just hey well something happened yesterday and now let's show some golf and show the 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 clouds and the sun and the the pretty trees you know it's uh, i think it's a uh it's a stark contrast to where they were just a few years ago and and uh and i appreciate them moving in this direction right i I agree with you i almost felt like sunday jason that they were almost doing a make good for something they felt like they didn't get done on saturday because it like, it was a long, long, drawn-out. I mean, each guy, Frank Navalo gives his opinion. Nick Faldo gives his opinion. Ian Banker-Fent gives his opinion. Um, the, I mean, it just felt like they were saying, boy, we didn't do a, g- a good enough job yesterday, so let's go hard at it this, before we get into the golf today. I would say it's less about we didn't do a good enough job yesterday and more about we didn't do a good enough job for the past 20 years in these <laughs> kinds of situations, right. and we want to show the public that we're better at it now. You, you know what the amazing thing is about Patrick Reed is you know, we're, we spent now, we're almost eight minutes in here, Jason, and we haven't talked about what an amazing performance he had over four days, right, winning the Farmers. I mean, 
on Sunday, he basically, anyone that came close to him just destroyed him. I mean, the, he won by, what, four, four or five strokes, five strokes? And no one's even talking about it because of what happened. I mean, he's, he's a really good golfer. He's won nine tournaments. He's yeah. won the Masters. Like, Patrick Reed is a legit great golfer. Absolutely. Completely agree with that. I will say that for the people out there listening, whether you think Patrick Reed is getting a raw deal and whether you think, you know, the, the media and the public is just all over him for no good reason, or whether you think Patrick Reed is a complete cheater and should be kicked off the PGA Tour, or you're somewhere in between, whatever your viewpoint on him is, you have to admit that this is a guy who, when his back is up against the wall, he basically just puffs out his chest and plays better. We saw it years ago when he was in the Ryder Cup in Europe. He basically shushed the entire continent. Uh, the, the story you referenced a few years ago, the Hero World Challenge in the Bahamas, we tend to forget that that happened on a Friday where he's built a little sandcastle in the bunker, and then on the weekend played really well and finished in third place. Last year there was controversy in Mexico. He won that golf tournament, and then he wins again, and he wins going away by five shots this past weekend in Torrey Pines. I am telling you that I don't know what the percentage is, but it's somewhere in the 90s as far as how many players uh, would have melted under those certain terms when the entire world is talking about them, the entire world is, uh, is criticizing them for what they've done, and it just doesn't seem to affect them. If anything, it just gets him fired up to go play better. Is he, is he liked on the tour, Jason? I mean, what, what, how will this be handled? Like next, if, I, don't, I don't think he's playing this week in Phoenix Open, but like his next tour stop, like... Will, will he get kind of like the cold shoulder from, from players, or will they just be like, whatever, it's done with, let's move on? Yeah, he's playing in Saudi Arabia this week. Right. There's actually a, a lot of uh, big-name players yeah, playing Dustin's over there. When he comes there. back to the PGA Tour in a few weeks, it's going to be the same. I mean, I, look, he's, I don't think he has a whole lot of friends, but I, I don't know that you know guys are actually going to call him out and confront him on the driving range or anything like that. I mean, you can tell. You can tell after a guy wins, whether it's fellow players congratulating them on social media, whether it's Instagram photos, whatever it might be. You can tell when a popular player wins and his peers are congratulating him uh, in, in different platforms. There was not a whole lot of congratulations for Patrick Reed this past weekend. I think that spoke volumes about sort of what the other players think of him. Again, are they going to go, you know, challenge him to a fist fight in the clubhouse? No, of course not. Um, but internally, they, they all kind of know how they feel about Patrick Reed, yeah. All right, let's get to the, before I let you go, Jason, let's get to the Phoenix Open this weekend. It's going to be a lot different. Uh, the big part three, is that 16? Is that the? Yep. Okay, There's me no. I assume there's going to be no fans there this year for that, which is. No, the, there actually are. Oh, so, there are. You know, they're gonna, yeah, they're going to allow 5,000 fans per day. Now, 16 is usually the one where, Hey, it's a general admission ticket, and if you get there at 6 a.m. or 7 a.m., whenever they open up the gates, you basically take off as fast as you can, run towards 16, get a good seat, and you can sit there for the day. Right. Instead, they're selling specific seats that are priced up a little bit uh, just for the 16th hole this year, but it's, it's not going to be the same way it's been for, for many years. Rory's playing. Is that, did I see correctly that he's playing the first time at Phoenix? Is yes, that right? He is. Yep, and you know Rory's been interesting because at some point in his last couple of tournaments, uh, he's really shy. I think after the tournament overseas two weeks ago, he had the lead after the first round, 
and then mm-hmm. kind of fell apart on the final day. And then on, you know, on, on Sunday at Farmers, you're like, all right, when's the run coming? And it never really happened. So w- what do you think about Rory at Phoenix? Um, do you think it plays, plays to his game? He's my pick to win this week. Wow. I really like Rory. I think, first of all, the change of scenery just helps to refresh and kind of recharge his batteries a little bit, a place that he's never seen before, gets him a little more focused. Secondly, this is a place where you have to drive the ball really well. Rory McIlroy is second on the PGA Tour in strokes gained off the tee this season. He was second in strokes gained off the tee last week at Torrey Pines. Uh, There's no denying he's one of the best drivers of the golf ball that we've seen in an awful long time, if not ever. And so uh, I think this course is uh, really made for him. There's a reason he's going there. He said last week that he's heard the course really suits his game. And so uh, I think he's going to go out and have a really good week. It's been 15 months since we've seen Rory McIlroy win anywhere around the world. That was the uh, WGC HSBC champions back in 2019. And I just think he's ready. I just think that at some point, if you keep fading Rory McIlroy, it's going to come back to burn you. All right, there's two other golfers, Jason, I want to bring up. Um, One is probably not the best, close to the best. It's Justin Thomas, who since the incident um, where he was caught on mic um, with the the slur, he has not played. He's coming back this week. I saw he tweeted out that he's learned a lot in his time away. Uh, How do you think he handles things coming back this week to the Phoenix Open? Yeah, he missed the cut last week. In That's right, he Dubai, did Dubai. He did play Dubai, Classic. right. Um, yeah, showing up in just a, basically a plain golf shirt that uh, I think it was a Peter Moore shirt, but obviously lost his polo sponsorship. So, um, yeah, I think he's uh, I think he's obviously a great player. I, I would say that unlike Patrick Reed, who we talk about all the controversy swirling around him and everybody talking about him and how it affects him, I would say that the the controversy probably affects JT a lot. JT is a guy who he, he's known as a nice guy. He likes to uh, he likes people. He likes that people like him. And so when something like this happens, uh, even if he did bring it upon himself, uh, yeah, I think it's you know it, it's a great example of how uh, it's not as easy as Reed has made it look when you've got controversy swirling around you. And so. Uh, JT has been a guy who over the last eight or nine months has been very vocal about not being as motivated without fans as he's been in the past. And yet uh, that may actually come back to help him now because without fans being on the golf course, maybe he doesn't hear, especially this week in Phoenix where there are usually so many fans, uh, maybe it's a little bit easier to play without 200,000 people yelling in your backswing. All right, I lied. There's two more people I want to ask you about. His his mm-hmm. best friend of the tour, one of his best friends in the tour. Actually, these two guys are probably two of his best friends in the tour. Jordan Spieth missed the cut last week. I was watching him. He was playing in the same group with Phil, and he just kind of looks lost. And I, I keep waiting. And I think he's like 100 to 1 this week. Um, yeah. I, I keep waiting for, like, you know, you keep saying you fade Rory. I keep thinking, all right, Jordan Spieth was too freaking good. I mean, to just be a guy now on the tour, right? So the reason, uh, so there's a few different dynamics here at play for Jordan Spieth. Uh, one of the reasons why I think it's a little bit harder for him to come back than some of the other players. Uh, you know, Rory certainly hasn't slumped nearly as right. much as right. Jordan. He just hasn't won in a while. Sure. But I think for some of the guys at the top, they hit the ball further. And so it's a lot easier when you hit it 
310, 315, yep. I think it's a lot easier to compensate for missing a few putts or hitting a few wayward iron shots. Jordan basically, because he's average length on the PGA Tour, even below average length, uh, he needs the other parts of his game to be really strong, and they haven't been recently. I think another part to the reason why Jordan's found it so hard to come back is uh, he's the opposite of a guy like Dustin Johnson. You look at Dustin Johnson, if Dustin has a bad day, he shrugs and shows up the next day and maybe literally has forgotten about the previous day and just isn't worried about it whatsoever. Jordan, I just have this mental image in my mind of Jordan waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning and looking in the mirror and trying to uh, check his posture and his stance and his grip and trying to figure things out. That, uh, th- this slump that he's in has got to be just driving him crazy. And if anything, uh, I'd love to see Jordan go out there and just have fun. Just go out there and smile and not worry about uh, how you're hitting the ball. I know that's way easier said than done, and I don't even know how you go about doing that. Um, but I, I thought that for years with Tiger. When Tiger was out there looking like he was having fun and smiling, he played much better than when he looked like he was grinding and uh, extremely serious about it. And so if there's a way that Jordan can somehow play while having a little bit more fun, maybe that helps him out in the long run. All right, the 2019 champion of the Phoenix Open was Ricky Fowler. Um, mm-hmm. I watched him again a lot last weekend as well. He made it. He made the cut, but like he does not look like Ricky Fowler. His putting is terrible right now. Um, he just doesn't look like he's he's striking the ball very well. Like, is is the, is it, what is the reason? Is it a club switch? Well, why is Ricky Fowler just not very good? He's gone through a coaching switch. He's changed his swing around. I mean, really, that was last year. The changes should have come to fruition by now. I'm still not quite as bearish on Ricky as I am on probably Jordan. I, I would say that um, I, I can see a scenario that by the time the major championships have started in uh, two or three months that uh, that Ricky is ready to be playing some really good golf again. And I would not be surprised if he's, uh, if not in actual number on the world ranking, at least sort of in our mind, one of the top 15 to 20 players in the world uh, once again uh, in in the not-too-distant future. So I, I don't think he's that far off. I think he's gone through, uh, like I said, so, some swing changes that haven't quite uh, gone right for him yet. But again, uh, that putter will heat up at some point. He'll start playing better. And I, I think Ricky's going to be a guy that we look at down the road, especially if you're making futures bets for the majors. Look, we've said for so long, why can't Ricky Fowler win a major championship? And I've said, you know, maybe it happens when we least expect right. it. And who we least expect it might be right now, this year. And so, you know, you never know. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Ricky goes out for a PGA championship, which should be on a, a long, windy Kiowa Ocean course, or maybe uh, the Open Championship at Royal St. George's. I, I would not be surprised if Ricky contends at either of those. He is at Jason Sobel, T-A-N, and he is a great foul, and he's a great golf writer uh, for the Action Network. Jason, always a pleasure when you uh, stop on by the golf club. Thanks for joining us today. You got it. Thanks for having me.